Cool. Hi, I'm Mike. I'm Pastor Mike. Listen, if you have your Bibles, open them to Luke, the 7th chapter. Luke, the 7th chapter. If you have your iPhones, open your iPhones, whatever you might have your, your scriptures on. Open those up and uh, let's be prepared a little bit to look at that. Let me, let me say thank you for being here. I appreciate you being here. I would like to invite you to celebrate recovery. If you listened, a uh, lady on there made a statement lady made a statement that uh, she just thought everybody had problems. Of course, everybody does. That's, that's a good assumption. But she said now she has tools to work on her problems. Celebrate Recovery will teach you how to face your issues. You already know the issues in your life are bigger than you are. Okay? And you already know you can't overcome them. If you would, if you could, you would have already. And Celebrate Recovery will help you learn tools to overcome your issues when they want to raise their ugly heads and hurt you and hurt the people you love. What you've got to be careful of is that people tend to think, okay, I've learned some principles. Now, you know, I'm going to beat my issues. And it's sort of like whenever my, my son was learning playing sports and he'd start running into some maybe he's not hitting as well or feeling as well or or maybe not running the ball as well whatever it was or shooting as well and he'd say hey dad can you help me and i'd say let's go back to the basics let's go back and see if if that's where you're developing your habits that aren't functioning correctly from and celebrate recovery always reminds us to go back to the tools of the basics and I invite you to come and be a part of it. You, you see, we sang a song, the first song, a phrase that says, all thing, we know all things work together for good. Okay, We know all things work together for good. We sung that song. That verse says, to those who love God and those who are according to His purpose. And there's much can be said about that. But we've got to be where God's purpose is for us, where He can speak to us. And celebrate recovery. God will speak to you if you'll be open to what He wants. And He'll remind you of the basics that will help you overcome your issues. And so I invite you to celebrate recovery. CR is described in your worship handout. You can look at that. And it all happens here. And we welcome you to that. We're in the Gospel of Luke. Okay? We're in a series that I'm calling out, calling uh, Luke's Gospel, Checking Out Jesus. And... Uh, from the very beginning, I've shared with you that people question sometimes whether the Scripture is valid, whether you can trust the Word of God. And the Gospels have so much, listen, they have so much academic, academic backing to validate their reality. Matter of fact, of all writings of antiquity, there is just more evidence for the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, than there is for any other, listen, human writing of existence. And people who evaluate rise of antiquity, if we use the same kinds of standards they use for whether something is true or not, the Gospels just stand out. And the reason they are is because of like what Luke does. If you were with us in that first sermon, the very beginning of the, the Gospel, he says, he's writing to a guy named Theophilus, and he says, Theophilus, I am carefully investigating about Jesus. 
so that you may know all that you have heard that it's true. Okay? So Luke is checking all this out. Luke didn't live during that time when Jesus was doing this. He wasn't involved in that. Luke, a man of science. Luke, a medical doctor. Luke, for some reason, has been led by God to step out of his field and to go and investigate. And if we look at some of these things, especially what we're going to look at today, a medical doctor would be a good person to investigate what's, what happens when Jesus heals people, when Jesus raises people from the dead. Because a medical doctor would ask those people involved. Now, now you were there? You saw that? Tell me, are you sure he was... How do you know he was dead? What? You, you mean you had witnesses? There, there's people who... See, he would ask all... you sure it wasn't... The guy was really injured? See, he would ask all those questions. Now, see, to you and I, we say, I can't believe it. That stuff was written 2,000 years ago. But you see, there is evidence that validates closer to Luke's gospel that we can have confidence in the reliability of what we read. And I spent some time talking about that. And so today, we're going to look in the seventh chapter, okay? We're going to look at some situations involving sickness and death. And because God has given those to us, we need to let those speak to us concerning our faith and our relationship in Jesus Christ. Who He is and what He can do. You see... Many of us will pray to God, God help me, God help me. But we have no confidence in our faith. We're just hopefully saying that with no understanding of the person in whom we pray, the name of Jesus, and who He is, and what He does. And today, we're going to see some of that in regard to sickness and in death. If you have your message maps, if you would, open them to the page where there's some blanks. Okay? It's sermon notes. And I'd like you to look at the first blank and fill it in if you would. It says, or I just wrote down there, let me say that sin, sickness, and death were not part of God's original plan. Let that sink in. Sickness, sin, sickness, and death were not a part of God's original plan. If we went back to the book of Genesis and we looked at it, it says when God created man, He looked at what He had created and He says, very good. We didn't need hospitals back then when God created us. We didn't need uh, a medicine. We didn't need hospitals. Everything was good. Then sin entered the picture. People decided... They were going to live by their own decisions. Didn't make any difference what God said. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's a struggle we all have. We all know sin is real. You know as much as you want to be close to God, as much as you want to follow Jesus Christ, as much as you want to see the goodness of God in your life and in your family's life, you struggle at those times where you've got to decide, am I going to do what I feel what I think, what my rationale tells me, or am I by faith going to follow my Lord Jesus Christ? Am I going to do what God wants? All of us are affected by sin. 
There are people who say, I don't believe in sin, and yet they're affected. If they read what the Bible tells us about sin, they would see they have sin in their life. They don't read the Bible. Oh, they say, I read the Bible, read it all the way through. They just read it to get through. They don't read it to get its understanding. We've all been affected by sin. Because of that, we all are affected by death. Death is going to occur. Death is going to occur. Unless Jesus comes back before you die, you're going to physically die. And God wants you to be prepared for that. He wants you to understand who you can place your faith in. You see, death is not what God intended for us. And God doesn't want us to live in fear of what He didn't intend for us. He wants us to have victory in this life as we look to those circumstances that will come into this life. Somebody leaves you, you lose your job, you get sick, you die. How can you have victory in those kinds of situations? Faith in Jesus Christ. So we're going to see sickness and death in Luke 7. Look at verse 1 if you would. I'm reading out the New Living Translation. That's what's on the screen. If you've got a different translation, it'll read somewhat different. Let me explain again the reason I use the New Living. Uh, I began with the King James Bible. I could take you to my first Bible as an adult. I can just show you how it's all marked up and everything. I moved to the New, Live, New King James Bible because not everybody talks like the King James Bible. And there's some things we understand from Greek. We learned more about the Greek language in the 20th century than all the centuries before. And we found manuscripts in the 19th and 20th century of the Scriptures that were much earlier than what was found when the Bible, the King James Bible, was written in the 16th century. And we realize and more understand the Greek language and then those older manuscripts that some things maybe in the King James Bible didn't say it quite like it was written. Doesn't eliminate that Bible. And so I moved to the New King James Bible. And then I moved to the New International Version. Because it just explained it a little bit more understandably. And now I read out the New Living Translation. Not the best study translation. I've said that before. I think today, if you're looking for the study translation, I think... The ESV Bible, okay, the English Standard Version, is probably the best with what we understand from Greek language and what we understand with, from the older manuscripts that have been found since we got our first English Bible in the 1600s, 1611. But I read this because if you're not used to the Bible language and you're not used to, to, to the Bible, this is easy to follow. So that's just why I read it. And then I seek to communicate to you from what I read. So look at verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, He returned to Capernaum. Now remember, I told you, Capernaum is probably, well, not probably, it is. You could, if you look at the Bible locations, Jesus did more in the area of Capernaum. And that's up in the northern part of the nation, the land that we call the promised land of Israel. Okay, Up by the Sea of Galilee. than He did anywhere else. Okay, And so he returns again to Capernaum. It's sort of like his base area. Okay, Verse 2 says, At that time the highly valued slave of a Roman soldier was sick and near death. And when the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some, some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. Now let's, let's first understand what's happening here. Got a Roman, got a sick slave. He gets some Jews and he says, Hey, go talk to Jesus for me if you would. 
He's going to ask him to make a request. Why does he do that? He's a Roman. He's a Gentile. He knows Jewish tradition. Romans understood Jews. If he's an officer, it's important that he understands Jews. Okay? Because he has to, apparently, he lives in that area, he has to relate to Jews. And so, he, 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 asked, he asked some Jews to go to Jesus, who is a Jew, and to communicate with Jesus. A Gentile is asking Jews to get involved in communicating. Sort of like mediators. Okay? Now, it goes on. Okay? It says, so they eager, earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. Now, let me stop for a minute. This man apparently has a problem. He values his slave. You know how you feel when someone you value is hurting. You know how you feel. You might say, hey, pastor, can you come and talk to this? My loved one, I value them. Or my friend at work, I value them. You know how you feel when someone you love, you value, isn't feeling well physically. You know, you, you ought to go to a doctor. I talked to so-and-so, and they said, if you go over here to this doctor, they can help you. You see, people you value, you want to try to help. This Roman officer valued this slave. It's not important to understand why. I was just doing a sermon on this, and Mike tried to chase all that, but I think we waste time. It's just, here is a Gentile, a Roman who values his slave, okay, and he's concerned. And so he asks these Jews to go and earnestly request of Jesus help. I, I was at Hardy's Monday night. And a total stranger, a total stranger came up to me. All by myself, a total stranger came up to me and said, I've been here before and I've seen you. You look like a person who cares for others. Yeah. That's what I said, yeah. They said, and then they told me about their child. And their child was sick. And they are a single parent. And they told me the story. They said, can you help in any way? And I said, is it okay if I pray with you? You see, they were like that Roman officer. Someone they valued was ill. They saw me. I've talked with people at Hardee's. They felt there's somebody who might care. They don't know what I could do. But they come up and they talk. This guy not sure what Jesus can do. He's heard the stories. And he asked these people who are Jews like Jesus if they would help. You know, sometimes in your situation... Jesus is the only one you can turn to. This world will tell you to take care of yourself. Everything in this world brings us to say you've got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. But sometimes, you can't do anything about your sickness. You can't do anything about your situation. And all you can do is turn to Jesus. And that's what we see this officer doing. 2,000 years ago, turning to Jesus. Now look again at verse 4. So they earnestly, the Jews earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help. Now look at their rationale. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said. For he loves the Jewish people. In other words, this Roman, this Gentile, 
This Gentile loves Jews. Listen, Jews do not love Gentiles. Okay? Jews do not love Gentiles. But this Roman, he loves, he cares for these Jews. By their own words, they're saying that. He loves the Jewish people. He loves folks who are not like him. He loves folks who would make accusations that are false, probably about him. He's a Roman. Can, you know, the only good Roman is a dead Roman. That's what the Jewish people would say. But he loves these people. And look what they say. And even built a synagogue for us. Now look, you read the Bible and you read over that real quick. You do. We read, you know, I'm going to read Luke so I can get to the end of the chapter and then get to the end of the book and move on to another biblical book. This is so important. It says he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. This Roman is so generous that he provided the money to build the church for them. That's what their synagogue was. It was their local church. Now, they weren't big buildings. Most synagogues couldn't even house 30, 50 people who would meet there. Many of them, maybe 10, 20, 30 people. But this guy put the money up and built a synagogue in Capernaum. Now, why is that important? Because, folks, if we go back to chapter 4, it says Jesus goes to Capernaum, He goes in the synagogue, and He speaks to the people. It is this Roman who built the church where Jesus went to and spoke to the people. Isn't that amazing how those details come together? Now, listen to me. You will have, you young people, you will have people tell you, you can't believe the Bible. How do you know it's true? It's amazing. When you, with, with intelligence, don't shut your brain off. Don't go to any church that tells you to shut your brain off. But when you take your brain and you look at the facts, it just sort of amazes you how these things work together. And you know why Luke writes all this like he does? Because God wants you to know this guy is checking it out within 29 years after Jesus has left the earth. Not 2,000 years later. It's not a guy named Mike Davis who is trying to convince you. This is a guy who says, I went to Capernaum. Matter of fact, I've never been to that part of the world. But I've read about it, and I have read that people who have went there, they, they tell you that you can go to Capernaum and you can see the stones, some of the stones, you can't see the synagogue, you can see some of the stones from that very synagogue that this Roman built. You can see those stones today. And you've got friends, you've got people in this world who tell you, it's all a myth. And yet it's amazing how it all just works together. Now let me say something about religious people. I told you, religious people are usually in opposition to what God wants and what Jesus wants. Religion, in a sense, gets tied in with rules, regulations, and traditions. And Jesus comes and relates to a culture. And they killed him because they didn't like the way he related. And as we go through Luke, matter of fact, if you read the 19th chapter like Matthew did, before the chapter end, it said the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus, but their problem was they knew the people liked hearing what he had to say. Because Jesus related to people in the culture. 
And religion tends to say, no, the culture needs to come and change and be just like us. And we can see how religious people think. Do you see what their rationale is for Jesus helping this man? Look there, what do they say? Help, help this man because he's been good to us. You catch that? He's built a synagogue for us. He's helped us Jews. See, that's how religion thinks. Religion is always saying, and that's how this world thinks. Help those who help you. Everything we've been taught by Jesus is you help people who don't help you. Just go back to that sixth chapter where we ended. Jesus is saying, love your enemies. Enemies don't help you. But these religious people, they're saying, help because He helped us. That's how religious people always respond. Do good to people who help you, but don't do good to people who don't help you. And I'm going to tell you, you follow that, and your life will never ever be transformed. And your life will never ever bring transformation into anybody else's life. Because people learn by examples and God speaks to us and He begins changing how we think up here because of what we hear from His Word and what we see people model before us. And connection is to be a church. Listen, you go to school tomorrow, you go to work tomorrow, you go back into your family, and you should be loving those people who treat you wrongly. You should be seeking to do good. What did Jesus say just in the last chapter? Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who hurt you. Bless those who curse you. I told you that word curse in the Greek means they want doom. They want your marriage to fall apart. They want you to run out of money. They want you to get fired. They want an accident to happen so they can say, Good! You deserve that. And what are we to do? People of connection is to do good to those kinds of people. That person that gives you the finger in traffic... When you meet them at McDonald's and you're standing right behind them, you just say, hey, I'm sorry. I ran you off. I saw the finger. Can I buy lunch for you? That person who divorced you and keeps trying to get your kids to dislike you, and if you don't understand this, you're trying to get your kids to dislike that person. That person, when you feel they're hurt, you ought to just write them a note. Or if you can talk with them, say, I'm sorry. Is there anything I can do to help you? Yeah, can I have the kids next Friday? It's not your weekend. What's the reason you did next Friday? Well, we were going to do this. Okay, you can have them. What? You've never done that before. Do you catch what I'm saying? Sure, these people want Jesus to help this man. But their, their reason for the help is all wrong. It's because this guy's a good guy. We need to be a church that is touching our family, our friends, the people we work with. Not because they're good, but because they need someone to help them. That's what they ought to say to Jesus. This man, it's good. He values another human being. And Jesus, He wants to know if you can help. Jesus always arrives 
with people who will value other people. Well, let's go on. It says in verse 6, So Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my house. Now look what he says, For I am not worthy of such an honor. I am not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. Verse 8, I know this because I... Now look what he says, I am under authority over my... Under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. Now, now let me stop for a minute. Important part here. This man is saying, through the people he sent to Jesus, you know, I'm not even worthy to have you in my presence. And I'm going to tell you, not any of us is worthy of that. And yet he comes. He shows up. Okay? He shows up. But this man is saying through the people he sent, I recognize your authority, Jesus. I recognize your authority because I recognize authority on earth. Now listen to that. I recognize your authority because I recognize authority through my life's experience. Okay? Now listen. Some people have trouble recognizing Jesus' authority because they don't recognize any authority in life's experience. And some of us are 40, 50, 60, 70 years of age. And only if it means we're going to lose our job will we recognize authority. Only if it means we're going to get a ticket will we recognize authority. Only if it means people might think we're not good citizens will we recognize authority. This man of his own volition sends people to say, I recognize your authority because I recognize authority in my life's experiences. Look what verse 9 says. When Jesus heard this, He was amazed. He's amazed because of this man's faith in His authority. I wonder if Jesus looks at you. Is He amazed about your recognition of authority? Of His authority? I mean, does Jesus really have priority? Or is that new baby the priority? You know. Because you make decisions once the baby comes. I don't recognize the authority of Jesus. You say, oh no. Well, let's forget the baby. How about when the little kid begins taking dance lessons or playing ball? Whose authority do you recognize? Let's forget about the the baby and the little kid playing ball. How about when the child becomes a teenager? Whose authority do you recognize? How about whenever, whenever your child runs into problems? Whose authority do you recognize? Listen, most of us do what the whole world does. We pay all attention to the baby. We pay all attention to the little child. We pay all attention to the teenager. And we pay attention to all our children's problems. And please, loving people should pay attention. But when it comes to authority, we should never forget who is the priority. Now, why do I say that? Because you see, if we don't learn that, we end up raising the baby to be the adult 
who doesn't recognize God's authority. Oh, they may go to church, they may read the Bible, but they don't recognize God's authority. And we become the adult. We say, I don't understand. How come they've turned away from God? I know this is bad that happened in life, but how come they turned away from God? Jesus is amazed by this man because in the in the in the in the presence of his dilemma someone he values is in a bad situation and he asks for Jesus help but then he realizes as he thinks you know I don't even I'm not worthy to have Jesus come listen you have authority you speak how does he recognize that authority because he recognizes it through life and you and I have to decide does my wife have more authority than my Lord do my two boys and two girls have more authority than my Lord? Do my grandchildren have more authority than my Lord? Does the, the St. Louis Cardinals have more authority than my Lord? Does the Rams have more authority than my Lord? Whether it's Mount Vernon Rams or the St. Louis Rams. Do my pocketbook, does it have more authority than the Lord? Does my yard have more authority than the Lord? We don't like to hear this. I'm telling you, we don't want to hear that. And it, I'm not into this, this legalism. I'm telling you. It's what our Lord sees in our relationship. Jesus hears in this man's words the recognition of Jesus' authority based on the fact that this man sees authority in his life. And Jesus is amazed. I'm going to tell you. You make Jesus' authority top authority in everything of your life and amazing things will happen in your life. Did I say it too quick? If you make Jesus top authority in your life, then amazing things will happen in your life. Somebody says, well, you know, preachers are supposed to say that. But we're going to see amazing things happen. When Jesus heard this in verse 9, He was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following, He said, I tell you, I haven't seen. And you ought to underline the next three words or circle them or something. Faith like this. Recognition of authority is faith in practice. You see, your sickness says, I have authority and I'm going to destroy you. And you recognize Jesus' authority. And as we sang in one of those songs, He even confronts death itself. You say, the authority is Jesus in my life and I will not let sickness destroy me. Sickness may take your life, but it will not destroy you. That's faith. Recognition of authority. He says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Man, this ought to make Jews mad. Jesus is saying, a Jew is saying, I see in a Gentile something I haven't seen in all of these Jews. And that is faith that recognizes authority. Let me ask you, do you recognize authority? Do you recognize your parents' authority? Unless they're asking you to sin. Now, in all these illustrations, unless a person's asking you to sin, do you recognize your parents' authority? Or do you undermine it by always asking them to help you? And when they don't, you get upset. Do you recognize your mate's authority? Or do you say, well, I'm married, but listen, you have no authority in my life as my companion. Do you recognize civil government's authority? 
Unless they're asking you to sin. Do you recognize church authority? Do you recognize the authority of the person that is over you in whatever you may do in regard to the church? That person who is your group leader. You see, the Lord sees our recognition of authority. That's where we learn authority. I remember, I remember, I got, I've told my kids this. Probably all of them can tell you this story. I remember I'm in college, and I got kicked out of one college, ended up getting drafted because of that, okay? And so I'm in college after I've been dra- after I've got out of the military. And I'm, I'm, I'm a history major, so I'm taking a class, and I get in the mail. I live 30 miles away from the campus, drive that each one, well, I carpool and go there to go to class. But one day I receive in the mail our pink slip for my college. And it says, you're going to be dropped from this history class. Listen, I'm a senior. I need this class. I want to graduate. I don't want to go in the summer. I don't want to prolong the experience. And so I, 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 I immediately go, and I go to that professor's office, and I knock on the door, and I introduce myself. And he says, yeah, Davis, come on in. And so he just called me, Davis. And I said, I got this, and it says I'm going to be dropped from this class. Here's the first thing I said. I said, sir, I understand you're the professor, and if you drop me from this class, that's your choice. This says I'm dropped because I didn't attend regularly. I just want you to understand, if you drop me, then I'm dropped. But I thought you said on our first day of class, and you gave us our syllabuses, that you didn't care if we come to class as long as we read the material and we demonstrated that by passing tests. And sir, I'm doing fine. But... You're the authority. If you drop me, I'll accept it. He says, Davis, I tell you what, I'm not going to drop you. But I want you to know, young man just left this office before you told me I had no right to drop him and I was wrong and all that. And you never told me that. You recognized I'm the professor. So I will not drop you. But Davis, don't you miss another class without a good excuse. I didn't miss another class. See what recognizing authority does? See, my dad taught me to recognize authority. I get drafted into the military. I go through the first two weeks before I'm even in basic. They treat you like you're not even human. And the reason they do that is because they've got to break you down. Because when you get into battle, you've got to work as a unit. They'll make you... They'll, they'll line you up across the parade ground with your... With, with, with your, your people and so so we've moved into basic the very getting the very first week and the first thing they do before we're organized is they make us get down and you're supposed to put your hands on your knees and you're supposed to just walk and you pick up every spot of trash everything and you got a line you don't think they don't keep the grounds clean you hate it and I do that. I think it's the second or third day. The drill instructor comes by and says, Davis! Yes, sir. Yes, drill instructor. You don't call them sirs. Yes, drill instructor. You're a squad leader. Man, I'm giving out passes by the end of basic training. I'm the guy that gets to choose from my squad. Recognize, recognition of authority. That's all it was. That's all it is. 
See, this guy recognizes authority. And I'm going to tell you, when you recognize God's authority, and you learn it by recognizing the authority God puts over you, He's got your mom and dad there for a purpose. He's got your mate in your life for a purpose. He's got your supervisor at work for a purpose. He's got the coach on your ball team there for a purpose. He's got the umpire behind home plate and the official on the football field there for a purpose. And you keep tearing that authority down by your statements and your thoughts. You'll never come to the place that you'll understand the authority of Jesus. This guy recognizes authority. So turning to the crowd, he says, wow, I've never seen faith like this. That's what faith does. It recognizes authority that God puts before us. Look at your next message map thing. Well, yeah, look at it. Fill in that blank. It is faith that believes even before the outcome is revealed. We tend to believe after we see the outcome. Faith is so important in a lifestyle of living and loving like Jesus. See, this man's servant hasn't been healed yet. But it's his faith. It's the faith that believes before the outcome is revealed. Our problem is we tend to say, let me get the job and I'll recognize authority. If you don't recognize authority, you liar. Let my dad be good in everything and I'll recognize his authority. No man's good in everything. You're a liar because even when dad tries to be good, you subvert his authority. You see, this is faith. It believes before the outcome is revealed because it says Jesus is authority. That's why Jesus calls it faith. Look on the screen. Look at Romans 10.7 on the screen. Look what it says. 10.17. This is from the contemporary English version of the Bible. No one can have faith without hearing the message about Christ. I want to tell you, faith comes through the Scriptures. You see, it is through the Word of God, the Bible, that we learn of Jesus, we learn about Jesus. No one can develop faith by leaving the Bible out of their life. See, some people go to church for 30, 40 years. Listen. They never open a Bible. They hear a preacher preach. They hear a Bible study leader teach. And they say, man, that's me. i got to do that in my life. And then they leave the church and it's gone. They never change. And you know what? 30, 40 years later, they're still gossipers. They're still bitter. They still refuse to forgive people. Because you see, the Word has not got into their mind. No one can have faith without hearing the message about Christ. This is the message of Christ from Genesis to Revelation when it says Adam and Eve sinned and God spoke the words that it was going to be the child of the woman that was going to help them. He's talking about Christ. When you get to the book of Revelation and it speaks of Alpha and Omega, it's talking about Christ. And you come to these experiences and you have hope. Maybe my life can be better. But what you do, you leave the Word out. That's why you need to open your Bible. That's why I ask you to underline and circle. I'm trying to get you involved in this. You, one, a few years ago, I helped a guy on my staff. He was the manager of the team. I had no boys playing and he needed assistant coach. He says, will you help me? I said, sure. So one practice, listen, one practice... I'm helping him. And two sons of a medical doctor show up for practice. The mom brings them. 
Listen, now the mom comes as far as she can come to the field, and I meet the kids maybe six steps in from the field. I said, hey guys, where's your gloves? Just like that. We didn't bring our gloves. I'm just saying, it's baseball practice. I said, hey guys, where's your gloves? We didn't bring our baseball gloves. Michael, my name's Michael. Michael said to me, that's, that was the oldest. He says, he said, no, I said, I said, baseball practice is about having your gloves. Michael says we didn't bring them. Later, after practice is over, the head coach says, the mother came to him and said, that coach is rather intense. That's the only encounter I had with him. Look, you're going to play baseball. You might want to get a hat and get a glove. You want to play basketball? You might get a basketball and a pair of gym trunks or gym shoes. You want to play football? It'd probably be wise to use the spherical ball and put a helmet on. Is that intense? You want, you want God to change your life? It's not how many times you sit in this seat, except if you sit in this seat and you engage His Word, and you engage His Word that you take it and you look at it again. You see, no one can have faith without hearing the message about Christ. It comes from the Word, the Bible. Look, look, look at the next verse I got up there. 2 Corinthians 1.24. Paul was writing to the Christians. This church had problems. They fought with each other. And Paul wrote this. It is by your faith that you stand firm. Now we just heard, faith comes by the Word of God. You know what? You can always find the people who are subverting the church. You can always find the people who are causing trouble. They're not living according to the Word. They don't have faith according to the Word. It's faith according to their feelings, what they think it ought to be. It is by your faith that you stand firm. It is because the message of Christ is a part of your life. It is the Word that will give you what you want. And a lot of people look to this church and people pat them on the back and they feel good so they go for a while. And then after a while they go to another church because people pat them on the back. But what you need to do is be engaged by the Word of God. Because it builds your faith. And when it builds your faith, you stand firm. People who hang out where Jesus Christ and His Word is lifted up are people who find strength in their faith. People who do not are people who are weak in their faith. They both can be believers. But one finds strength, one finds weakness. Look at verse 10. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. Jesus and Bob, Jews and Gentiles. Soon afterwards, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain. This is the only time this village is ever mentioned in the Bible, folks. This is an unimportant village. Look it up. Read it on the internet. Get a Bible commentary. It's an unimportant village. The people are unimportant. I'm going to say that to say this. Jesus always goes where people are willing to respond to him. And you know what? When you don't have a lot of money, you need Jesus. When you don't have a lot of friends, you need Jesus. I'm not saying people without a lot of money go to Jesus. When you just don't have the circumstances working out for you, you need Jesus. When you're pretty self-sufficient, you say, well, I might include Jesus, but I really don't need Jesus because i got enough money, i got enough friends, I can take care of myself. These people are unimportant people. Jesus goes there, okay? And it says, look, it says, and a large crowd followed him, Okay? Now, Jesus is going to stop and He's going to do something special. I want you to understand, it's not because of the large crowd. 
It goes on, verse 12. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's son, only son. Okay, a widow's only son. And a large crowd from the village was with her. Now I'm going to tell you again. Jesus is going to stop. Jesus is going to do something special. And he's not stopping because there's a large crowd. And he's not stopping because there's a dead person. I want you to understand that. Okay? Because if you read this wrong, all people want to do is talk about the dead person. Wow, Jesus raises the dead to life. Don't deny that. He did. But this is not about, this is not about the large crowd, and this is not about this only son who is dead. Okay? Now look what he says in 13. And when, you might want to underline four words, the Lord saw her. When he saw her. You know, Jesus is going to stop because of the lady. Not because of the crowd, not because of the dead person. He's going to stop because he sees her. Who is her? Her is a person who at this point in her life, her life is wrecked. You know what I mean. Because sometimes your life's wrecked. You're divorced. No intention when you said, I do, to be divorced. Your child died. You lost your job. The car broke down and you don't have money. You know you shouldn't have said those words to that person, but you did. See, you know what wrecked is. Jesus looks at her and she's wrecked. Why? Because you see, she's had one funeral. Her husband died. That's not good if you're a Jew in those days. I don't have time to explain all that. And she's having another funeral. Her only son has died. That is not good at all in those days in the Jewish culture. What stopped Jesus is He sees this woman in her wrecked state. He sees her red eyes. He sees her, her, her downtrodden appearance. I mean, if anyone listened, already, if you keep staying with me in Luke, I've said before, Jesus said, I'm God. If anyone understands losing their only son, God does. Jesus stops because this person is wrecked. And you know what wrecked is. And the sad thing is, for many of us, we do the wrong thing when we feel the wreckedness of life. Satan will tell you when you feel wrecked, escape from it, run away from it. What you need to do, because listen, God always pursues wrecked people. I'm going to tell you, He does. You see, Satan will tell you, God doesn't care about you. You, you, you shouldn't have done that. You, you shouldn't sexually be involved. You shouldn't have taken that substance. You shouldn't have misused your money. You shouldn't have, uh, have lied. Whatever it is, Satan's going to tell you, you. God doesn't care about you. And I want you to know, God pursues wrecked people. And somebody says, how do you know that, Mike? Because you see, I'm taking you through Luke. And that's what he always does. He pursues those who are wrecked. Some of you have everything you wanted. You got married, you have children, you're living in a house, you got a roof over your head, and you know what? You're not missing any meals. And yet your life is wrecked. You know that's true. And God pursues wrecked people. 
Because Jesus came to show us that God cares for us when Satan wants to tell us, no. And you know what? You know what? Many people are living just waiting to die. That's it. Because our life is so wrecked. And some of us look at them and we say, man, if I could have everything that person had. And their life is wrecked. Don't give up on God's care for you. Please don't give up. Let this illustration speak to you that God keeps reaching out to wreck people. That Jesus gets involved with people whose lives aren't going very well. Look at verse 14. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it and the bearers stopped. Now look, Jesus goes into action. I want you to understand he's not doing it to impress the crowd. He's not doing it because there's a dead person who needs to have life. He's doing it because his compassion is for a person who is wrecked, okay? And what he's doing, Jewish people say, you shouldn't be doing that. Go over there and be touching that coffin. We don't touch dead people like that. We don't get close to that stuff, okay? You shouldn't be doing that. And Jesus goes over there. Look what it says. He says, young man, he said, I tell you, get up. And then the dead boy, oh man, look at 15. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Oh, the dead son is alive. Can you imagine the emotional transition that is taking place in the life of this wrecked person? Can you imagine that? The emotional transition that takes place in her life. For some of you, life seems to be a funeral procession. Like I said, you're, you're just living, waiting to die because you don't see anything's going to be better for you. And it most likely won't. Because you keep living like you've been living. You keep leaving Him out. You don't allow your faith to be built from His Word. You don't recognize His authority over everything else. The economy, everything... You're probably going to keep living the same way. I love the last statement there in that verse. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. I love that. You see, because this person's wrecked. And Jesus gives this person exactly what they need. Look at the next statement on your message map. When I read that, I wrote this statement down. Jesus wants to give you back the life He intended when He created you. Listen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry your baby died. I'm sorry you got a cancer and you're going to die. I'm sorry. We're all going to die. I'm sorry. And, and you know, babies die. I'm not treating it lightly. I'm sorry you lost your job. I'm sorry for whatever. I'm sorry your family's causing you problems. But you know what? God never created you with those intentions you got to be careful of trying to take control of the situation and you just need to recognize the authority of Jesus through it all. And you go back and read chapter 6 and see what He says to do in situations where it just doesn't work out for you. Will you accept His help? Will you accept what He offers you? Will you turn to Jesus and follow Him in the situation of wreckedness? That's the question. Look at verse 16. Look what happens. Great fears swept the crowd and they praised God saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us and God has visited His people today. These wonders that Jesus did were evidence 
that God is there to help, that He is the Holy God, that He is the one the Father sent to come and help people. Verse 17, And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. I mean, something like this is not going to remain silent. If it happened today and you were there, you'd be telling somebody. They're talking about it. Now listen, I want you to understand, Luke's checking this out. He's talking to people who talked about it. Who were there? Or heard their dad tell them, or their mom tell them, or their grandpa tell them. It's only 29 years basically removed from there. And really, it's not that long in the time frame. You can't keep it quiet. And so the people who live closer to it are telling people about it. And those people can check it out. They can check it out just like Luke did. Quadratus, Bishop of Athens. 100 years, within 100 years after Jesus has left the earth, Quadratus, the Bishop of Athens, writes a letter to the Roman Emperor Hadrian. In his letter, he makes this paragraph. Look on the screen. Follow with me as I read it. The deeds of our Savior were always before you. This is written to the highest person in Rome. The deeds of our Savior were always before you, for they were true miracles, those that were healed, those that were raised from the dead, who were seen, not only when healed and when raised, but were always present. They remained, a lot, they remained living a long time, not only whilst our Lord was on earth, but likewise when He had left the earth, so that some of them have also lived. To our own times. You know what Quadratus is saying to the emperor? Check it out, man. Check it out. So he's writing to him. See, we're told we can't believe in these things because it's 2,000 years later. But the people who lived closer to the time, they couldn't keep quiet, just like Luke said. Man, people said, who is this man, Jesus? And others say, he is the man who helps people with wrecked lives. And I say to you today, who is this man, Jesus? He is the man who will help you if right now you find yourself in a wrecked situation. Look at the last blank. Look at the last blank on your message map. Fill it in. Because I want you to read these Scriptures later and look at these points. The more you learn about Jesus and those who follow Him, the more confidence you will have in what the Bible says about Jesus. The more you learn about Jesus and those who follow Him, the more confidence you will have in what the Bible says about Jesus. So I'm going to close this message by saying this. I invite you to learn more about Jesus in regard to situations of your life. Listen to me. I invite you to celebrate recovery for you who are wrecked with some issues in your life. Issue or issues. And I invite you to come. And don't sit there saying, I don't want to be here. You come with an open mind and learn, learn, learn what Jesus would have you understand about your issue, your lust, 
your pornography, your inability to stay in a marriage because you can't keep relationships, your anger toward your parents, your self-centeredness, your inability to be happy because you can't make everybody else happy, codependency. I invite you to come. See, some of you shut me off already. You're folding up. Why? The more you learn about Jesus, it says there, the more confidence you will have in what the Bible says about Him. I invite you. I invite you to come to connect groups. They're listed in your message map. Because you see, if you don't come in rebellion, but you just... Try to hear what God's saying. I don't care who He uses. You can learn. You can learn. You can learn about Jesus. I invite you. I invite you to get involved in our community loving. When we do it. Why? Because if you will, and it... Ken has organized them so that you don't spend two and three hours all day doing them. Some of you think you've got to spend two and three hours. We want you to understand, in a matter of seconds you can help somebody. One of you saw me this week. You saw what I did to help someone and didn't try to bring any glory to me. But let God speak into their lives. Why would this happen that somebody would help me in that way? And Ken has so organized it. So that you can learn. You can learn how Jesus takes us to show a caring action that impacts somebody's life in a small way or a great way. You see, the more you learn about Jesus, and you're not going to learn about Him at work. They don't stop and say, let's take a break and talk about Jesus. You don't even learn about it in your homes anymore. Whenever I grew up, families used to talk around the table, but now grandpas and grandmas and moms and dads are afraid to bring it up because we're getting involved in our kids' lives and they need to hear it. You don't hear it on the play fields. You don't hear it on TV. The more you learn about Jesus and those who follow Him, the more confidence you will have in what the Bible says about Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, your faith will help you stand strong in the circumstances of life. All I can do when we come together is invite you to take advantage of our practice times when the Lord teaches us about living life. Do we have any questions? I've lost you, man. I don't see a head. Is a man is a man here? Do we have any questions? Oh, do we have I should look back here. Any questions? Yeah, okay. Let's just do this one. If my mate's authority sometimes contradicts God's authority, what do I do? For example, tithing, civil authority, making activities a priority. Okay, that's too big of a question to answer. So we're not gonna answer that one. We got no no. Uh, <laughs> if my mate's authority sometimes contradicts God's authority, what do I do? Okay. When somebody's telling you to sin, you shouldn't sin. Okay? Now, let's go though for an example of tithing. Tithing is the money you share with your mate, okay? And you share the space, okay? I think the word would be what we were told later in the New Testament. If your mate isn't going to hear you, then you let your example, let your example speak volumes into your mate's life. You don't force tithing on your mate. You don't force it, okay? 
You just don't do it. If it's, if it's civil authority, if your mate's telling you to sell drugs, don't do it. If your mate's telling you to, to hate government, don't do it. Okay? And believe me, your mate not, not tell you to hate the, the Democratic government, they'll hate the Republican part of the government. And they may not tell you to hate the Republican part of the government, they'll tell you to hate the Democrat part of the government. Listen, anybody who's all Democrat or all Republican isn't open-minded. Now, I know some of you are not going to come back. That's your problem. Okay? Making activities a priority? Uh, through my ministry, I've had folks, ladies who come, who wanted to be at church regular, and their husband didn't want them to come on Sunday morning. And I had to go through the process, and there's not enough time to explain. You know what I think you ought to do? I think Saturday... Before Sunday, you ought to tell your mate, now, I'm planning to get up tomorrow if that's okay, okay? If that's okay, and go to church. I'm going to get up and go to church, okay? And if your mate says no, you say, well, I'd really like to, but you know what? If you don't want me to, I won't. Well, after they faint, you, you know, resuscitate them. But, but you just say, I'm, I'm not going to, because you don't want me to. But, but I would like to, Okay? I've had ladies, and I'm telling you, they come back, and their husband will come. And I said, and then what you do... You, if he wants to go have a picnic, you go have the best picnics. Don't you burn those eggs to get even with him. You have the best you can give him. Okay? And then you tell him, I appreciate so much this day with you. I know it's right in the midst of where you've been. Where... And then you tell him, if it's possible next week, could we do this maybe Sunday afternoon or Saturday? Because I want to be in worship. Okay? And you just share that with him. Let God convict him. I'm going to tell you, if you'll be the kind of wife God wants you to be, your mate's going to push you out the door. To be with the God that changes you. Now listen, I've had women come back and say, my husband said go to church. Now I had to share with them. Sometimes the mate, of course it could be the husband too, but usually it's the, the, the woman who wants to go to church. Sometimes the woman makes the church the competing, competitive suitor. Are you following what I'm saying? You've got to be careful. God doesn't want that. Man, your man's your man. Okay? So, I haven't got enough of those. I'm just telling you. If they're asking you to do out-and-out out sin, okay. If it's character adjustment and adjustment with habits, give time. Okay, give time. Tithing is more than just giving money, folks. So, there's things you can do. You, 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 could, you could make your grocery go further, and you could use grocery money. Yeah, but he keeps all the money for blah, blah. No, well, now see, you just live by faith. You do what you can. Okay? That's enough of that. If there's another question, I'll answer it through the email. Let's bow together for prayer and then we're done. Father, thank you for these people. Wow, God, thank you for these people taking time to be here. And Father, thank you for Luke. Thank you for, for, for him checking out these details. And, and it's just amazing how they come together, God. Thank you for the way they come to speak to our lives. Help us. Help us to learn more about Jesus. So that our confidence in living for Him will grow. And Father, thank You for this person who wrote this question. For the honesty of that. And in my brief, my quick brief answer, may Your Spirit enlighten some things there. Father, I feel so, in, I feel so inefficient at times. But I know Your Spirit is never inefficient. 
May that person hear what your spirit wants them to hear through what's been said. And Father, may all of us, may all of us go and leave this place and live some things that we heard here. May we love people who are good to us. May we do good to them. But God, help us to realize to love, to do good to people who aren't good to us. Help us to live and love like Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen.